Hello, friends. Welcome to Silo Busting. I'm your host, Allison Coton, an interaction designer at EPEM Continuum. I remember a time before smartphones, before flip phones, Blackberries, and Palm Pilots, when all communication over distance was decidedly corded, time-bound, and beholden to human interaction. This morning, though, I opened an app, ordered groceries from my favorite supermarket, and paid with a linked credit card all before hitting the second snooze on my alarm clock. Contemporary businesses, and that includes hospitals and banks along with the grocery store and the pizza place up the street, are talking behind the scenes, sharing data, showing me real-time inventory, and looking at my real-time credit limit in service of a front-end experience so seamless that a grocery run now takes less time than rolling out of bed. As the possibilities for data sharing and third-party integrations, Hello Grocery Delivery Service, continue to unfold, of course the Internet's bad actors are also equally quickly looking for ways to exploit our systems to extract data. Sam Raymond, our Chief Information Security Officer and SVP, and David Stewart, CEO at Approve, are here to talk API security in the mobile age, with some good tips for developers on how to keep users and their data safe while preserving that seamless experience we've all come to expect from our smartphones. Hey, Dave. Thanks for joining us today. Um, good to talk to you again, especially about this critical topic about mobile security and, and a lot more. Um, why don't we start from just mobile itself? It's we all use mobile device more and more. We all see the conversion to you know people doing more transactions on a mobile device, and as we start to go see that, I mean, move, see that shift. Yet, mobile security is such a complicated topic. It it, it spans across multiple domains, and at the same time, it's it's hard to really understand. So. Maybe, David, you could give us an overview from your perspective. How do you see mobile security? Why is it so difficult? And and are there really areas that people can look at first and, and focus? Sure, yeah. Um, good to talk to you again uh, as well. And um, it's great to be here. Um, yeah, mobile is a tricky one. Um, if you think about, you know, draw parallels with what bits of software you can that can be downloaded and run on a, on a device without the owner of the software having any idea, you know, who's actually uh, using it. And that's, that's the situation you have with mobile. And it makes it very difficult because you, you basically can't trust um, anything that comes or claims to come from a mobile device um, because you really don't know what, where it's coming from. Um, and so it, it's a well-understood, difficult problem, um, but that doesn't mean it's solved. And I think that quite a lot of the time, there's a lot of focus on protecting the app itself. And I'm not saying you shouldn't protect the app itself, but what you should do is realize um, what uh, vulnerabilities or holes you still have in your security infrastructure, even if you do a good job of, of protecting the app itself. Because the majority of attacks that we see um, are not done by modified apps, but they're done by um, scripts which have studied the app to the extent of being able to impersonate traffic and transactions that, uh, that, that look like they're coming from a genuine app instance. And so effectively, what that does is it bypasses the app completely. Um, now, obviously, if you protect the app well, it makes it more difficult for for people to study it and reverse engineer it, but it, it still may be possible for them to do it. And if they if they can, they will then uh, bypass the app and uh, and access your API directly using scripts. That's very interesting. In fact, we were talking about this. I forgot it was the last one or a couple of podcasts ago. That that I, I can't agree more. That one of the biggest issue with the mobile apps how 
um, easy it is to reach the, the the binaries itself, and that attackers would study the the reverse extract whatever they have to do to understand how those APIs are being used or how do they actually get back to the server? Just what do they need to do to actually run a transaction to figure out what is a norm? And then from that, whether the attack comes from a code injection that the device and then hand it off to a user again, which seems complicated sometimes. And as you said, running off from a script directly to mimic that, you know, I've seen pretending to be simple, obviously pretending the same UA agent, having the same API key extracted out from the binary device, it, 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 binary application itself, or, you know, just simulating partially of that code um, to go back to the API. So, and ultimately the API is what execute the, the transaction on the, on the, you know, from the outside to the inside, which bridge across those, you know, the, the perimeter. Yeah. So, which, which makes perfect sense if you think about it, because the, the juicy data, the, the stuff, the services and the data that people the bad guys are trying to get to are in the server end. Sure. They're not on. They're not in the mobile app. Um, right. And actually, right. it gives them access to a much wider range of data. So that's what they really want to do. And if if they're trying to reverse engineer your mobile app, they're they're probably not going to just modify the app. They're they're doing it in order to be able to get access to the back end via the API. Very interesting. Yeah, I, it, that's now on the API side. Then can we talk a bit about that? So we're, we're we're now moving on to everybody needs to expose API. If you look at banking, they said every bank needs to be a platform. They need to right. expand and expose API, which is true. Automotive, they're you know becoming a server. Every telematics box now almost expose API. Uh, Air uh, CarPlay just released a new um, uh, a new model that would allow um, uh, container plugins and so on. Uh, that would allow them to expose API as well. Um, everything becomes API server. Then there's backend server as well. All of that expands the attack surface. It's easy to say that, okay, sure, just, you know, don't hard code your keys and rotate them and bind them directly to, you know, short range access token. There's got to be more to that. I mean, it, it's become such a simple, simple answer. Um, could you speak a little bit more about how do you see it, Dave? about API yeah, sure. protection, especially yeah. tied to mobile or endpoint? I mean, there, there's lots of examples of um, services that you can, I'm not going to name any companies, but services, well-known services you can sign up, API services, and they'll give you access to an API key, and they'll tell you if you're going to access the service via mobile, uh, your mobile app, they will say, um, and don't keep the API key in your app, um, which is great advice, but they don't tell you what you should do with it. Um, and actually uh, avoiding saying that you shouldn't keep API keys in the app is is a it's not it's a misleading statement because it's not easy to do it uh, and and so I think the better way of thinking about it is make sure that your API key can only be used by genuine app instances. In other words, you can't just take an API key and randomly put it into a script and use that to access the API. In other words, the API key needs to come along with a another factor which uh, determines where the API key has been uh, has been used from and if you do that then it means that you're 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 really tightening down the opportunities there are to exploit these kind of keys at scale and that's what we encourage our customers or, or prospects to think about is it's not so much about eliminating 
credentials or you know not storing things in mobile apps. It's 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 a question of thinking of okay, let's assume that these credentials got into the hands of uh, of bad people. How can I make sure they can't be exploited at scale? I mean, usernames and passwords are exactly the same. We're all familiar with credential stuffing attacks against APIs. Now, if you think about it, if a if another factor alongside the uh, user credentials were to be required, so that it's not enough to have a valid username and, and password, you also need to provide some evidence that the request comes from a genuine uh, mobile app instance, then you've just uh, really raised the bar from a, from a security perspective. So that's the, that's the kind of way that we think about protecting the API itself is that you you need to 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 verify multiple independent factors in order to be sure that you can allow the API transaction or the API request to be uh, executed on the back end. And, and could this be somehow tied back into an attribute-based access control in a sense that, so I, I completely agree with you that the second factor is critical. I, I honest answer is most people embed the API key and they just put in, as you said, not a good practice, but what are you going to do? Ask the user to remember it? You know, can't do that. So somehow it needs to get from somewhere, maybe through initiation, but then what authenticate the initiation process? Again, you're back to the same problem. So completely agree. Embedding it, you know, it's 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 necessary, but having that second factor would strengthen it substantially. Is there anything that we can expand from there that would now, since you have a certain trusted score or you're authenticating the device, and now this specific authentication session is based on a second factor plus your credentials, could that be somehow tied in back to the back end if I use attribute, you know, base access control as opposed to role base, role base, and and, and that would that would give us yet another level. Of of behavior that we can we can fish out later on from UEBA or whatever it is. Have you seen that from your client base, or do you see that as a possibility? Yeah, I mean that's that's in a sense that's that's kind of how we we think about it. So obviously people are quite familiar with the so, so sorry just to split the split the the customer base into two. So there's there's there are a set of customers where user login is is not necessarily desirable. So if you think about retail, we've got a lot of retail customers where they don't particularly want their customers to have to log into the um, log into their uh, platform in order to browse and potentially buy things um, because they probably set up their password four years ago and they can't remember what it is. And as soon as you tell them they have to reset their password, they're going to go to somewhere else. So the notion of keeping... Um, the, the data via the API available to anonymous customers while keeping it secure so that it's not scraped by competitors is quite a, is, is a, an interesting use case as well. And there you, you absolutely need uh, other factors to use because you can't use the, uh, the user login. But then there's the, the, the more traditional uh, user login type use cases like banking and, uh, uh, and so on, um, where the way we think about it is that the the authentication of the app, the mobile app, making sure the mobile app is present, making sure it's not been modified, making sure that it's running in a safe environment, which are all the things that we do in order to authenticate that the API request is coming from a from a, um, a good environment and a good place. Then that is a, that is another positive factor that sits 
very absolutely alongside user authentication and is is you know strongly um, complementary to user authentication. So it can absolutely be thought of as part of the uh, access control mechanism. And sometimes I describe it as an invisible, an invisible second or third or fourth factor. So, so right. by all means, put in place all of your user user authentication stuff, and then in the background, you've got another independent factor that's validated without adding any friction to the user, but it allows you to know that not just that, that the user credentials are valid, but that it's coming from where you expect it to come from. Yeah. So. You, you- Exactly. And, and a funny thing is we do some of the platform level today in a sense that if you have MDM on a device, there are people that would send back and say, this is MDM you know, certified or whatever it is. And then from then onwards, they would send back as an attribute. But yet we fail to do it from, from a mobile device most of the time, a mobile application most of the time. And that's, and that's very critical because application by application, it, it, the level of you access different kind of asset and their asset value is completely different. And so having one blanket and say, yeah, I have a device that's not jailbroken and that means it's good, right? Well, no, that's not the case. There's a big difference between a user using this device and having this application access, this set of, of API and, you know, not having to authenticate that application is a big mistake. So I, I like this model. And in fact, I think there's a lot more that could actually expand out beyond that. Now, um, from from that perspective, what um, what what would people have to do to do that second factor? Could you speak a little bit more to it? You know, so obviously for login user, and you know, they would go through a second factor, and you know, for from their backend side, even OAuth has built in, as you know, mechanisms supposed to do this, but yet very few people actually do that. The rotation of their access token. What what is the um, what is the route that you've seen? It's practical for people who can do this today, um, yet not overly complicated. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that you're right, and the, the the OAuth has has built-in mechanisms to to be able to refresh tokens and so on. It's just that the the way they're normally set up is that the the kind of lifetime of these tokens, because it's it, it's a it's a natural thing. It's like the the, the friction between the the user wanting to do whatever the user's doing, but also not wanting to have, you know, all of that security stuff in their face all the time. Exactly so, right. so as a result of that, most companies will set up their, their user authentication token refresh sequences to be, I mean, it varies, but it, it it's probably not less than some hours and it may be days and sometimes it's even longer than that. So what that means is you've got a token which is valid for quite a long time period of time, at least from a hacker's point of view, that's a very long time. They can do a lot of damage by intercepting that token and putting it into a script and, and, and you, know, you know, really firing at the API and extracting lots of interesting information. So the mechanism that we, that is in our, in the approved solution is, is all about uh, making it very easy to have a very, very short lifetime um, authentication, which is it's got a, a five-minute, um, you know, uh, cycle where every five minutes we verify that there's a genuine app present, that it's not been modified, that it's running in a safe environment, and and we provide that token to the back end. So we're not 
we're not we're not although we're doing these things in the app the reason we're doing it the, the reason we exist is to tell the back ends that the api request is coming from a genuine app instance and to do that on, on a on a very fast refresh so that um it makes it it makes it impossible for the bad guys to 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 get hold of anything that they can use and and as i mentioned it's it's easy to integrate there is an sdk and there's a cloud service that we operate um, that does all the heavy lifting. So, from a from a developer point of view and from a DevOps point of view, it's it's quite trivial in terms of its implementation. Um, and then that allows you, and it's invisible to the end user, so it has no impact on their experience of using the app. But it then provides that second factor to the API endpoint that um, that allows them to be to be sure they're dealing with uh, what they think they're dealing with. In fact, the more I listen to you, the, the more um, it's, and you, you see that I'm, I'm actually releasing my white paper on, on zero trust and also I'm working on a best practice, to, you know, summarizing some of the best practice that we have been using uh, with our, actually, we're just going to release it out in public to share with everybody. But the more I listen to you, the more I realize that um, with zero trust, which is, you know, breaking into small units, microtransactioning it and making sure you verified every aspect of it. I think what you described in that model on a high level match very, very nicely to it. I would almost say that it's a, it's a critical component for it. Yeah. I mean, we, we do talk to people about, about zero trust and about the fact that they, they, you know, that's the whole thing. You, you can't, you can't trust anything that claims it's coming from the app and that's the whole, that's the whole problem. Um, the other the other thing that's relevant to API security that's probably worth touching on is the whole area of vulnerabilities. Um, the interesting thing about API security is that quite often people get quite tied up with um, with vulnerabilities that might be essentially bugs that might be in their APIs that that could be exploited by uh, by bad actors, and and th- those do exist. And uh, there'll be ones that you know about, and there'll be ones that you don't know about. Um, and they are, you know, dangerous things that you you need to deal with. But I think the problem that a lot have, of organizations have is that they they're dealing with this constant flux of APIs being updated, vulnerability uh, assessments going on, um, and there's two things that they don't realize or, or they don't maybe think about so much. Is one is it is going to take some time for them to get these vulnerabilities under control, get them fixed, get them tested, make sure that They've got you know the tools and processes in place to make sure that they don't introduce new vulnerabilities, et cetera, et cetera. That's the first thing that they they, they need to uh, think about. But the second thing they need to think about, and this one I, I find commonly is not well understood, is that your APIs can be attacked and abused without any vulnerability uh, being exploited. Because if you think about it, a script which is impersonating um, a remote client, could be a mobile app, but it could be an IoT device or, or even a browser. But, but a, a script that's, that's, that's impersonating that traffic is using valid API uh, protocols. It's using valid credentials. It looks exactly like genuine traffic. So often with defenses that are in place, it goes straight through them because it's very, very difficult to tell the difference between that traffic and genuine traffic. But remember that that is not exploiting a vulnerability. What you need to do is make sure that you can only access the API from genuine 
remote client instances. As soon as you do that, you've cut off completely the the, the route to get to the uh, API endpoint from a script. And as soon as you've done that, you've you've really um, you know reduced the attack space significantly and dramatically. So. Our advice to people is, by all means, put in place the, pros- the, 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 the things you need to do to get your vulnerability, um, API vulnerability uh, under control. But in the meantime, protect your APIs from being uh, attacked by these scripts. So sometimes we call it you know, shifting left while shielding right. And what we mean is in deployment, you should be shielding your APIs today. Get that done immediately so that you're not open to scripts using your APIs. And then once you've got the shield in place, you can then implement your shift left strategy to get your um, your security built in by design, et cetera, et cetera. So that's, that's the, if you like, the high-level methodology that we often uh, encourage our customers to think about. I think that's amazing. I, I hope you haven't trademarked that term yet because I'm going to try to steal it. I'm kidding. <laughs> But I, uh, I, I think that's really, really valid. Um, uh, I, I think especially the part that you mentioned about uh, vulnerabilities. I, I have a big problem with this for years where vulnerabilities, if you look at just computer science, it, it really just means any piece of code that could be used um, to behave or act uh, unlike the original intent, which, which could be crossing control boundaries for security could be you know for anything else really but that's a vulnerability but that doesn't specifically mean just one piece of code so for years and years we've been just scanning for code and say you know this is a vulnerability of course you want to catch those bubble flow of course you want to catch those you know bad execution paths uh you know no error checking whatever it is you want to catch those but to your point there was a much high level that this concept of vulnerability applies to which is uh, it, those APIs could be working in a very, very concrete, solid way, but five or six of those tied together could still generate and, and force the system to act on, you know, unintended behavior. And so that's the part that you can run all your stats and desk, and it still wouldn't help you. Uh, in fact, you can run all your chaos monkey, whatever it is, it, you're still, you know, betting by chance. You, you really need to figure out, and this is what the attacker does back to your original point. They understand and they study how your application is supposed to work with your backend, figure out what that pattern. They're exploiting the pattern, not so much just an API call or one line of instruction. That, that's why I think, you know, I really like your model about, you know, shielding what you have existing and then why you're shifting left and automating and pushing out the CICD. It's a great model. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write that down. And if you see that, just don't sue me, okay? <laughs> no, that's fine. The more right. people that use it, the better. I think it helps to get the message across uh, because, yeah. you know, the thing is that we, we see sometimes we talk to customers and they say, "We got look, we've got we, we've identified, we've had a pen test, we've identified all these vulnerabilities. We're looking at the old wasp top ten, and we've can, we can see that we've got this stuff that we need to check for. We don't have time to look at anything else." And I'm saying, "But wait a minute, the problem you've got is you don't know how long it's going to take you to fix all this stuff, and also." These are just the vulnerabilities you know about. Plus, when you fix those vulnerabilities, you may, may by accident, you know, create new ones. So what I'm suggesting is give yourself a break, shield that API now, and then, you know, at a, at a slightly more leisurely pace, you can then go in and, and, and start getting these vulnerabilities uh, fixed. Um, but don't put yourself under 
that terrible pressure because uh, you you know you you have a risk of 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 being exploited while you're being exploited by something that isn't even using vulnerabilities if you don't shield the APIs uh, from the beginning. Right. Right. Completely agree. Okay. This is, this is wonderful, David. I learned a few things and I wrote down a few things and, you know, this is very helpful for me. I hope it's helpful for the audience as well. Um, we'll love to have you back again to, to get into a little bit more, especially about the API level of protection and mobile as well, but really appreciate it. But before we go, um, I, I know you have some great solutions around the space. Could you talk a bit about that um, on on how do you solve it with with your company and with your solution set? Sure. I mean, um, Approve is the name of our uh, our platform. Uh, it it is there to to authenticate the mobile app. Um, so we specifically deal with uh, protecting APIs that service mobile apps because of all the reasons that we mentioned before. I don't need to go into it again. And we do that by authenticating that the app is genuine. It is present when the API request is made. Um, and we do that on that ongoing basis, as, a, as I mentioned, providing, uh, doing it with zero friction for the user of the app and, and a very low amount of integration effort to put an SDK into the mobile app and to, to, to do a token check at the API endpoint. It's really very simple. We, we put all the clever stuff uh, into our cloud service and into the SDK so that um, our customers don't have to to deal with that. And, you know, as I mentioned, we, we, we see use cases right across the board from retail through fintech to um, to healthcare. We've done a lot of work recently with healthcare because, because of the pandemic then. Obviously, people have been moving um, mobile services or services in, onto the mobile platform that we're not available on mobile platforms uh, before and sometimes making them available outside of hospital networks where they were only available inside hospital networks. And that has created um, lots of uh, security challenges. Um, So we're doing a lot of work in healthcare. Automotive and mobility services is another another big market for us, accessing vehicles from mobile apps and so on. So there's plenty of um, use cases for the kinds of things uh, that we do. And um, yeah, well, the uh, approved.io website is open to anyone who wants to have a look. And um, we do, it is a positive security model. So as I mentioned before, it's uh, it's very complementary to user authentication, which is the same. So we're, we're, not, we're not providing scores, we're providing a yes, no answer. Did this API request come from a genuine app instance um, or didn't it? And, um, and that helps our customers to, to know what they should do next. Thank you so much, Dave. Let's talk again soon, all right? Sounds great. Thanks a lot for the time. This has been Silo Busting, a podcast from EPAM Continuum. EPAM Continuum integrates business, experience, and technology consulting focused on accelerating breakthrough ideas into meaningful impact. Why do we do this? Because real opportunities aren't siloed. Thanks to Sam Raymond and David Stewart for their great conversation. Cheers to Kit Palalas, our sound engineer extraordinaire, for getting this podcast recorded. Applause to Ken Gordon, our producer, for all his masterminding behind the scenes. I'm your host, Allison Coton, and I'm off to order a pizza. <laughs>